Mr. McAnalyst, please rise. We, the jury, find the defendant, Ezra J. McAnalyst, guilty of first-degree intentional homicide as charged in the information. And the answer to the special verdict question is yes. Use the dangerous weapon. And you may be seated. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, is this your verdict? All right. Welcome to this episode. For those of you who have never listened, my name is Harmony and I'm your host here. Recently, I was having a discussion with someone and we talked about the fact that manipulating others is a very common thing that humans do in order to get what they want. The use of manipulation by a person to get what they want isn't some new concept. Hell, I'm sure sometime in your life you've done it. Pulling out those puppy dog eyes and little sad faces. Or maybe you took it further. Maybe you know someone who's manipulated someone even worse. However, very rarely will you encounter a person or an individual that quite frankly is as awful as Ezra McCandless. Ezra was born Monica J. And she, she did kind of play around with her identity throughout school. She was trying to figure out who she was. However, nothing and no one could be prepared for who she would turn out to be. A cold-blooded murderer. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, I've had a really rough past few days, and you know what I want to talk about right now? <laughs> Murder. Oh my goodness, Harmony, what is wrong with you? Oh my loves, if the fact that I am so obsessed with murder because it makes me feel kind of comfortable when I'm a little bit stressed out is bothering you, let me assure you that that does not even break the top 10 of things that are wrong with me. Right in a wall? <laughs> That's my therapist, by the way. Love you, lady. Now, I would love to share with you this truly fucked up story about love romance, betrayal, manipulation, lies, deceit, and murder. So what do you say? Stick around and allow me to tell you this really twisted story of the murder of Alex Woodworth. This is not a case of who done it. The person who done it is sitting before you today. He was seeing someone who was identifying as a male. Ezra McCandless was gender confused. When I met Ezra, I did not know whether she was binary, non-binary, male, female. She is standing trial for stabbing one of her lovers to death. Was this murder? She fought to survive. One person attacked the other, but who did it? My girlfriend's car or okay. my ex-girlfriend kind of in a situation. Her story doesn't seem believable, so they're trying her for murder. How many stab wounds are too much for self-defense? I didn't know what to believe anymore. I was really afraid. I just didn't know who to trust. Her wounds could have been self-inflicted. This case is about an extreme anger and a twisted form of love. Ezra J. McCandless was born under a different name, Monica J. She was born on October 6th of 1998 in Stanley, Wisconsin. Her mother was a 14-year-old by the name of Rosalina Gunnelson. 
However, Ezra's father was never in her life, so I can't exactly tell you anything about him. When Ezra was just four years old, she was adopted by her mother's partner, Joshane Carlin. Joshane and Rosalina had actually gotten married. However, this marriage didn't last very long, and by the time that Ezra was 12 years old, her mother and her partner had separated. However, she remained really close with Joshane, and this was kind of like her father. As she approached high school, Ezra started to like explore her gender identity. She kind of decided if she wanted to like identify as a boy or a girl, and she was just trying to figure herself out during this time in her life. And you know what? If you disagree with that, I don't fucking care. <laughs> You're not involved. And also, you can't change it. It's already happened. So like, suck it up, buttercup. No amounts of getting mad over it's gonna make anything different. So she did eventually, however, decide on having the name Ezra McCandless. She chose this name after Chris McCandless, who is actually from a book called Into the Wild. Now, because she had been playing with her gender, she decided that she more identified as like a freely gender fluid person. You know, if she wanted to maybe wake up one day and feel as though she was more masculine, then she could just go ahead and identify in her masculine energy. Or she could, she woke up and was like, I'm feeling really girly and she could just, you know, jump into that. She just kind of wanted the ability to be who she felt in the moment. So at this point, she used both male and female pronouns at different points throughout the rest of her life. I mean, I believe currently she is identifying as a she. I'm not positive because even during the trial and sentencing, she like shifted. So I'm not sure. And I don't want to be disrespectful to her, you know, journey in her gender identity. I don't want to give any disrespect on anyone there. It's your body, it's your life, and I support you. It has no effect on me. However, if for some reason she ever hears this and she gets upset because maybe she doesn't identify as a she, sorry, too bad, so sad. You also murdered somebody, so like, we could just let this slide, right? Awesome, thanks, Pumpkin. Good morning, would you state your name and spell it for the record, please? My name is Ezra McCandless, um, E-M-E-Z-R-A-M-C-C-A-N-D-L-E-S-S. -E -E -S. Okay, Ezra, I'm going to ask you to speak really clearly into the microphone because you're soft-spoken. Yes. Okay. So everybody can hear you, all right? All right. Now, after high school, Ezra enrolled in college, and she toughed it out for a little while, but she ended up dropping out. It just, it wasn't her thing. Then she decided to move over to the city of Eau Claire in Wisconsin. During this time, Ezra's friends all described her the same way rather attention-seeking. And it wasn't just like good attention or just, hey, I want all of your attention right now because I'm really just feeling some type of way. No, it was any attention, good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. She wanted it and she needed it and she would get it. If people didn't pay attention to her, she would act louder and more, I guess you could say like, exuberant. It got to the point that she kind of portrayed herself as this mysterious, extremely philosophical, deep person, just so you could ask her, oh yeah, tell me more, I'm really interested. And then she'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> attention. But when that wasn't enough, she then turned to her art, but she used an unconventional canvas. She used her car. This way, as she was driving around, guess what? She got attention. But don't worry, 
Because in the summer of 2017, she would get a lot of attention from a very, very special man. I say special because in my opinion, this is fucking creepy because he's 34 years old. She's like, uh, she's not, she's not, she's a teenager. I mean, she's like an adult. Yeah, she's an adult. She's a young woman, but <laughs> nasty. Ask me what a 34 year old man has in common with a 19 year old. Ah! I'm not gonna say a whole bunch because to me, I don't think it's a lot. In fact, I feel like that could be <laughs> daddy daughter terms if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, that's gross. I say that because Ezra's mother was like 33 at this time. So you get what I'm saying, okay? Anyways, she did end up meeting a 34-year-old man by the name of Jason Mengel. He was a National Guard medic and deeply attracted to the teenager Ezra. Because <laughs> why the fuck wasn't he, right? You know, that's not a red flag. He actually stated that she made him feel energized. She gave him reason, some pizzazz, some oomph to his life. Yeah, she was 19. I'm sure she did. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'll stop putting my opinion in here. It's just, it's disturbing, okay? Anyways, you do you, boo. Now, the two fell into this intense romance extremely hard and very fast. They even began speaking of marriage. Like, really quickly. The two officially moved in together in August of 2017. Weeks after they met. Now, for whatever reason, no one seemed to, like, take note or make a comment about first of all the massive age gap between them it's like leonardo dicaprio and his girlfriends the teenagers that he dates until they're like you know young 20s and he's like oh my god you're too old for me sorry maybe somebody anybody could have been like y'all been dating a few weeks and you're moving in together mm, that's a little bit of a red flag side note this is just my opinion listen i understand you can meet somebody and things can be intense you can feel emotions you can't really help how you feel for someone i get that however i do strongly believe that you should have separate residences at least for a good amount of time because like first of all i like my alone time second of all um what's the like like what's the what what what's the rush i'm sorry i didn't mean to stutter so much but what's the rush like you gotta miss somebody that's the fun part when you get the time away from your partner you get to miss them and that way when you see them again oh, <laughs> it's amazing that all kind of goes away when you move in together not not completely no 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 like there's still times you get to miss one another but the joy in the beginning of all the times you will miss and long for that person don't stomp on that by jumping in and moving in together too quickly. You need to harness, cherish, and nurture the love you build with somebody. If you don't, well, I'm sorry. It may burn bright in the beginning, but it'll fizzle out just as quick. And when does it sound accurate that February, early February 2018, would have been the end of your relationship with the defendant? sounds good I mean I'm not I wrote out a timeline at one point when I was I've repressed a lot of this stuff so at the times are like not very kosher with me anymore that sounds generally accurate though it sounds generally accurate now um, is there an age difference between you and the defendant yes I did not know as large when I started but and when you say you didn't know it was that large when you started did you think she was older than she actually is I thought she was older and there were like strange like you know i noticed a like on a, on a random like i noticed a tassel like a high school tassel from like your your hat hanging in the car the first time we had met and then i was gonna look and see what year that said and it was gone like the next time i met her so i was like hmm but like yeah like she just she i think it was like a lot of, like she never mentioned her age 
like I had heard like her life stories. So like I was assuming at that age. And if you're 35 ish now, yeah. would she be about 13 to 15 years younger? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Right around this same time that Ezra is enjoying this romance she has with the much older Jason, she also meets and befriends 23-year-old Alex Woodworth. That's right, this is our victim. Alex was a barista at a very popular coffee house that's affectionately called Racy's Coffee Lounge. Now, right away, Ezra and Alex hit it off, and Jason encouraged this blooming friendship between them. You see, Alex and Ezra were rather close in age, so in Jason's opinion, this was good for her. She could hang out and kind of be around a guy her age and just, you know, experience things. Now, I'm pretty sure the experience that he was hoping she would have with Alex wasn't the one that would go down. But Jason wanted Ezra to be more social. He was gone a lot because he was in the military, so he had to travel sometimes around the country and the world. So he wanted her to have friends, especially around her age, so she could do stuff and like just enjoy herself. He wanted her to have a support system and a network that she could count on, especially more than just him. That's a lot of responsibility on one person to be the support, the friend, the everything to somebody. You need a system, not just one person, because that's not fair to that single solitary person. However, it wouldn't be very long before Alex and Ezra realized, hmm, we are kind of close. We should, we should explore this closeness, right? You feeling it too? Little sparky sparks? They were often being seen rather close, a little bit chummy, a little bit like, mm-hmm, you know, like, are they or are they? It wasn't long before a lot of people that went to races kind of suspected that maybe like Alex and Ezra could be involved in more than just this friendship. Like initially the friendship was rather obvious, that's solely what they were, but people started to kind of gather that intimate lines had definitely been crossed because they went from, oh, they've definitely never slept together to you can tell the air is in the room, baby fuck it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? When somebody goes from they've never touched one another to, oh, you guys did it, didn't you? Now, everybody's suspicions were absolutely correct. What was the most surprising to the regulars, however, wasn't that they were doing it. It was that Alex was actually even attracted to Ezra. Alex had a demeanor that was, was kind and he was gentle and thoughtful. Ezra was the complete opposite. She was brash. She was self-involved and sought nothing but all sorts of attention. Good, bad, ugly. Again, she didn't care about anybody but herself. Alex was the kind of person who would help others. He thought about other people before him. He was especially fond of helping Ezra in anything that she needed because this was just who he was as a person. A while ago, a friend and I had a conversation about givers and takers. Sadly, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you may be a taker. However, if you know, then you know. There are people in this world that give. They don't want, they just give. But there are people that want and only take. And they often find each other, which is exactly what happened here with Alex and Ezra. The thing is, though, is Ezra kind of... She fed into Alex in a sense that made him feel good. She showed him that she enjoyed his company because while well, he gave her attention and she basked in that attention. Obviously, this was going to go south at some point. Don't worry, we'll get there. However, Alex actually thought Ezra was quite charming. He thought that her 
attitude, the way she was, was just like her walls because she had been through some shit. If people could take the chance to get to know her and see that she had a pretty rough life, maybe they could love her just as much as, well, he seemed to be. Soon, however, Alex wouldn't become known just for being the local barista at such a love coffee lounge. He wouldn't be the guy who loved to talk about philosophy, and he wouldn't be the guy who had nothing but great things, support, and love for his younger siblings and just boasted about them continuously. Soon, Alex became known as the man who had nothing but admiration for Ezra McCandless. This admiration that Ezra seemed to actually reciprocate, oh, sorry, she only really reciprocated it the best when Jason was gone, especially when he was gone for weeks on end because, well, she didn't have him there to give her attention and she was like, Alex, baby cakes, I love you and I miss you. I don't know why I gave her a country accent there. Sorry about that. Basically, if Jason wasn't there to give her the attention that she craved so badly, she was going to find it elsewhere. And Alex was nothing but happy to provide that for her. Ask you about meeting Alex. All right. Yes. Um, why don't you tell us how you met Alex Woodworth? I met Alex Woodworth one night when I noticed him. He was riding alone inside a bar called The Joint. He, he just seemed very focused and I thought it was interesting that he was alone amongst all these people so focused on his writing. In early February of 2018, Ezra reported Jason's friend John Hansen to the police. She said that John had sexually assaulted her while she was passed out. Detectives would go on to investigate this assault rather carefully with a fine-tooth comb, treating Ezra with care and understanding until different events which were true would come to light. As investigators proceeded with their investigation, they came across Alex and began questioning him because he was close with Ezra. Alex cooperated completely. He told them that Ezra had told him that the encounter with John was actually consensual. But she ended up regretting it after the fact and was scared that if she told Jason or if he found out, he would leave her. As a result, the investigation was closed and the matter was dropped. A few weeks would go by and Jason was away on duty. This is when Ezra decided, you know what, fuck this, and moved out. She then moved back in with her mother in Stanley, Wisconsin. This, naturally, when Jason came home, absolutely blindsided him. Ezra insisted that they meet at hotels if they wanted to spend time together. And Jason was like madly in love with Ezra. I don't know why, but he absolutely was. So he was like, yeah, sure thing, I can do this. He was absolutely none the wiser though about the accusations against his friend. Or that she had a relationship, by the way, with another man Alex, someone that he knew as well. However, as they say, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> it wouldn't be too blissful for Jason that much longer. Okay, uh, first uh, sidebar here, Chantal Aber. What do you think? She seems composed. She is. I mean, they're, they're taking a very personal approach right now. They're trying to let the jury get to know her, asking her questions about how she chose her name and giving her a chance to explain her um, 
her search for her identity, I think it's, it's a way to make her connect with the jury right now. Yeah, you need the backstory on a lot of this with her because it is a complicated person that we're looking at right here. Um, in terms of her um, intellect, she seems sharp, she seems like she's answering the questions. Um, so far, so good, I guess, for, from the defense standpoint. Right, and she's, um, it doesn't seem completely rehearsed. She's taking her time with some of the answers, which I think is important. You don't want it to come off as, okay, you've given this answer 50 times already to your attorneys. Um, but she's thinking through it and, again, giving a very humanistic approach right now. one of their little hotel meeting sessions, Jason happened to take a gander over at Ezra's phone and saw some messages that devastated him. This is when he learned that Ezra actually was having a secret relationship with Alex. This, this did break him a bit because he believed that Ezra was the love of his life. Again, she was a 19-year-old. I don't know how he didn't understand that she was just probably not ready for the kind of seriousness that he was looking for. Another thing about this too is not just that Ezra had betrayed him, but Alex had as well. Because remember how I said that Jason and Alex were friends? They were good friends. So he learned that his girlfriend, the love of his life, a woman that he genuinely cared about, was, well screwing and diddling one of his good friends as well. That's like a boom, boom, double tap of betrayal. He suddenly was just absolutely wrecked by the realization that, well, he brought them together. He's really hurting. As he kind of continued to read through the messages between Ezra and Alex, he learned of her relationship with his friend, John. Oh, and that she had accused him of sexually assaulting her. Jason was like, all right, I am going to confront some people here because what the fuck? So he confronted Alex and John. He also did this very publicly. It wasn't like a, hey guys, y'all wanna just like meet outside, talk for a few minutes. No, he went to Racy's and was like, y'all, bitches, what the fudge? Jason was pissed. However, he still kind of was hoping that none of this was true. Like, maybe he perceived the messages incorrectly. Spoiler alert, he didn't. But he just wanted to believe that Ezra couldn't do these things. She couldn't have cheated on him. She couldn't have made up accusations on one of his good friends. No. No, right? No. Shit. Ezra sucks. Hmm. Didn't see that coming. Wine and things. And I thought it would be okay to have some wine and just try to talk and try to understand what was going on. And then I got really, really, really drunk. Almost black up drunk. And I was throwing up. And he had me go upstairs when I started throwing up. And he took me upstairs. And he put me in his bed. And I was throwing up. I just remember a lot of, I don't know, it's a big mess of a bunch of fumbling and stuff. It was awful. Did you tell Jason what happened? I told him everything tonight. Okay. But at that time, they have to tell. Okay. And so he's so, so upset to me. Was there a reason you didn't tell Jason what happened that night or that day after you? I 
When Jason finally figured out the full degree of the things that Ezra had done and was currently doing, he wanted none of it. He broke off the relationship, but the two did remain in contact via text messages. This wasn't really a choice done by Jason. This was more Ezra being sure that he continued to communicate with her. She would go to any lengths to prove that Jason, in her mind, was undoubtedly hers. Then, on February 24th of 2018, Ezra texted Alex saying she no longer wanted him to even speak to her. She still continued to text and call Jason, though, trying to prove how much she loved him and how she was utterly devoted to him. Which is really odd to me, side note. Like, when you have someone, when you're with them, you could just, you know, prove it then. No need to make a mistake, realize you fumbled the whole ball and now you gotta fucking fix it. Call me old-fashioned, but when you get somebody the first time, maybe prove to them and show them just how important they are to you. Maybe, just maybe, don't lie, cheat, and go behind their back. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know sometimes what love is, but I don't think it's that. Now, Ezra did have her own brand of love, and she continued to show it to Jason by sending him journals. These journals would express how she betrayed him, and it, it destroyed her, and what it was doing to her, and how she was feeling about it, you know? Me, 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 Jason, I feel so bad, I am so sorry. Meanwhile, what about Jason? Have you checked on him, Ezra? How he was feeling, you know, because you did it to him? <laughs> nope, she was just so worried that Jason knew how she felt. Now, here's another thing about these journals, though. She tried to give them to Jason. She tried to hand-deliver them. She did everything. And you know what Jason did? Mm-mm. I don't want, I don't know, I don't. Go away. I don't want to read that shit. Thanks, though. Bye-bye now. It was clear at this point Ezra was losing Jason. And when Ezra realized this, <laughs> she realized she couldn't allow that to happen. Yes. All right. So where were you when you took the pregnancy test? Do you remember? I was at a gas station. And did you tell Jason about it? Yes, I did. How did he react? He, he seemed anxious and he wanted to go to get, he wanted to go get the test confirmed at the doctor's and he was, it was hard to really read what he was thinking at the time. Did you go to the doctor? Yes, I did. After, um, uh, and what was the result from the doctor's office? I was in fact pregnant. On March 22nd of 2018, Ezra saw Jason at Racy's. Jason actually made a note that she seemed a bit agitated and she was asking about Alex. However, it was Alex's day off, so he was not there. In a huff and a bit oddly, she walked out and Jason followed. You see, he noticed that she was heading in the direction of Alex's house. He was a bit worried about this. So on his bike, he decided to cycle along as he followed Ezra to Alex's house. Soon, he then came upon her 2003 Chevy Impala outside of Alex's place. The keys were still in the ignition and the car was still running. She was just like, oh, I'm here, okay. Like, didn't even, you didn't even take the time to turn off the car. It's like two seconds. 
Jason began pacing back and forth outside of the house for a time, just kind of thinking like, should I go in? Should I check it out? What should I do? What is going on? A passerby sees all of this kind of going on and gets really suspicious and decides I'm calling 911. At this point, it's been about 45 minutes of Jason just pacing back and forth outside, debating what he should do. He finally decides I'm going inside. He didn't even bother to knock on the door. He found Alex and Ezra in the midst of a very heated conversation. Jason insisted that they all head outside and maybe speak in a public open area. As they all begin to walk outside, a police cruiser pulls up to the house. Jason tells police that he was there because he was rather concerned. He saw Ezra and in his mind, she was acting a bit weird, not like herself. So he wanted to check on her and see what she was going to be doing because he was just worried maybe she'd do something stupid. According to the police dashcam footage, it shows a police officer speaking to Alex outside of his house. He's standing right next to Ezra's car. You can't see Ezra in the video as she is sitting on the driver's side seat of the car. Eventually, police would leave the scene. They were satisfied that Jason had it under control and that there wasn't really anything going on. After a little conversation with Ezra, Jason left as well. Ezra assured him that she was fine and she was simply just wanting to end things with Alex once and for all and she wanted to do it in person. This would be the very last time that Alex Woodworth would be seen alive. Said they saw you park your bike over here yeah. and then walk over there, look yeah. around in that car. Do you know that person that lives That's there? It's my girlfriend's car, or okay. my ex-girlfriend. We're kind of in a situation, and when she talked to me this morning, I was worried because the guy that lives there is involved in an assault case that she's with. Or, or I mean, she's the victim of? She's the victim of an assault that happened, and when she went to him for consolement, I was gone on military orders. Okay. She went to him to talk to him about stuff, and then he kind of took advantage of her, too, and she wanted to talk to him, I think, today about some stuff, and I was paranoid because she had, like, fire in her eyes. Okay. So, I... Who's, who's the girlfriend? Ezra McCandless. Okay. I was just worried because, like... Was the door standing open over there when you got there on I the knocked, car? I knocked, like, three times. I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear a scuffle or okay. anything. So, knocked, knocked, yelled opened the door and I heard her say, let him help you, let him help you. So then I said, hey, is everything okay? Is everyone all right right now? I mean, I'm a medic in the military, so like, I was paranoid. I was paranoid that someone was gonna do something irrational. And okay. And they're in the house on the corner here, or? Yeah, which... they're on the, I think they're fine though. I mean, I don't okay. know. I'm, I'm just I just kinda... saw the door to the car was standing open too. Was yeah, open I wanted to turn when... her car off. Her car was running, so that's why I was like worried because it was running and I was like, okay. Uh, what's going on? Like, what's going on? Is everything okay? Okay. Do you have any ID with you? Yeah. On that very same day at 4.15 in the afternoon, March 22nd, Don Sipple opened the door to his dairy farmhouse in Springbrook, Wisconsin. And this is when he saw Ezra standing on his doorstep bruised and barefoot. She was covered in mud and blood. Ezra asked if she could come in and use the phone in order to call a doctor. She told Don that she'd been attacked. Ezra was then taken to a hospital. While there, she told paramedics and hospital staff that she had no recollection of what had happened. She just kept 
asking for Jason repeatedly. As police spoke with her, she kept claiming that she couldn't remember what happened. She could not remember why she even had the word boy carved on her arm. She hadn't seen this before. Then, slowly, things started coming back to her, bit by bit, sort of in flashes and pieces. As her story was slightly unbelievable and would take many forms over the course of this investigation. That night, however, police were still looking for Alex. He wasn't home and his family was growing a bit concerned about him because this was not like Alex. The following day, police made their way to Don Sipple's farm. They were following a set of footprints that they knew absolutely belonged to Ezra. This is when they found Ezra's car. They also found Alex Woodworth, and he was hanging out of the back seat. Sadly, he was not alive. He had 16 stab wounds to his head, neck, torso, and genitalia. On April 6th of 2018, Ezra would be arrested and charged with first-degree murder of Alex Woodworth. This is Don Sippel calling, and I have a, a young lady that just came to my house, and somebody attacked her, and she needs a doctor. Her, her clothes are all torn, and... And what is the address you're located at? What? What is the address you are at? E-7614, 430th Avenue. Okay. And is she injured? Yeah, she's injured. Her, her mouth is kind of... Uh, got some blood around it, and her clothes are all torn. Okay, and she's by herself? She's by herself. She walked to my house here just recently. Okay, and can you ask her what her name is? Just hold on a second. Okay. What's your name, ma'am? What? You don't know? She's in kind of bad shape. She says she don't know. Okay, let me put you on hold. Do not hang up. I'm going to start some help, okay? Sure. Did she say who did this to her? No, she said she was attacked and assaulted them, and she's from Eau Claire. Okay. And, uh... Yeah, tell she... me your name. Do you have any idea who did this to you? Ezra had stayed a few days in the hospital, and while there, her memory sort of came back to her. She said she had gone to Alex's house to break things off with him in order to rekindle her relationship with Jason. After police and Jason left that day in March, this is what Ezra says happened. Alex ordered her into the passenger seat of her own car and then drove off. They found their way to the road leading to Don Sipple's farm. Suddenly, while here, the car got stuck, which angered Alex. Obviously, this is so fitting to his character because everybody says he is one of the kindest, most easygoing men possible, so yeah, this is checking out right away. Next, Ezra claimed that Alex ordered her into the backseat of the car. This is where he proceeded to attack her. Now, I need to pause for a second because what I'm about to state is, uh, she made this up. However, this is something triggering for me because this is something that actually did happen to me when I was a teenager. So, and people who know me personally and have seen my body have seen the scars. Now, she claimed that when he pulled her in the back seat of the car, he began to cut her clothes and try to stab her with a knife. She claimed that she had been cut all on her hands because she was trying to get the knife away from him. 
Ezra would go on to claim that Alex had actually carved the word boy into her arm. Remember, she had identified as male for a while. So she said that he often felt this like urge to just call her boy. He did this according to her to like mock her, even though nobody believed this because that wasn't an Alex sort of thing. Now, however, when you looked at this word on her arm, it was facing in a rather odd direction. If Alex was in the driver's seat and she said that this all occurred while she was still up front in the passenger seat and the word was facing toward Ezra, this means that Alex had to write B-O-Y upside down perfectly. Not saying it can't be done, but it just doesn't seem logical. As the police began to question her further because they also thought this is weird, she finally admitted that she was the one who carved the word into her arm. And she did it for no discernible reason. At least no other reason except for to make it look as though maybe she was actually attacked when she most likely probably wasn't. Her attempts in manipulating the situation in order to go in her favor actually ended up failing exponentially. But just because I told you that story doesn't mean this would be the final story that Ezra would tell. According to Ezra, on the stand at her trial, she changed her story just a bit, however, just like a little bit of tweaking. She stated, rather than grappling with the knife against Alex, she kneed him in the groin and then grabbed the knife, cut her hands out, and then began to stab him anywhere and everywhere that she could. This, this didn't track though, this wasn't, this wasn't jiving with what the detectives had as evidence. At the hospital, they had inspected her for injuries and found cuts on her hands to be a bit shallow and very few and far between. If you're being brutally attacked, believe me, there's gonna be some marks. However, it was noted by hospital staff that this seemed to be a bit more as though it was self-inflicted. Maybe not so much the injuries of a struggle, but maybe more of hesitance of like displacement, disbursement, and you know, not wanting to hurt oneself. Police also found it rather hard to believe that Alex would spontaneously just attack Ezra, especially with a knife, a knife that was identified to have come from the home of Joe Shane. That's right, Ezra's father figure. Now, by Ezra's own account, the attack took place in the backseat of the car. However, the blood that was found outside of the car told a rather different story. It also appeared as though she tried to drag Alex into the backseat of the car and then she just like gave up halfway through. It was just like, man, this is too difficult. I'm done. Ezra also said that she didn't have her phone at the time, but she took Alex's with the intent to call the police. However, she ended up falling down and it broke the phone. Yeah, that seems really believable. When the phone was found by police, it appeared as though it had been hit really hard, not dropped. Now the prosecution said that Ezra had decided to murder Alex for getting in the way of her relationship with Jason because we all know she was rather obsessed with Jason. Even though she couldn't, you know, stay faithful to him. She loved him so much, but she couldn't keep her legs closed. I don't mean that to be rude. Whatever your deal is, is your deal. But like Jason and her had agreed to be in a monogamous relationship. Jason was holding his end of the deal up. She was not. She wanted both men to be hers, but Jason was just, he was her priority. As Jason would testify against her in court, she would peer at him, hopefully, and then she did some fucked up shit. In the middle of Jason's testimony, she takes off her blazer to reveal a green sweater that he had bought for her. You can visibly see his reaction when he sees this, and he is stunned and unsettled. 
he realized right then even more so just how twisted and manipulative Ezra really is. It's really fucking disturbing. If you ever want to just watch, she smiles kind of and he's just like, he's full on taken aback. Just over here like, you really, you really think I'm gonna go, she's still wearing it. She loves me so much. Nah, bitch. <laughs> Everybody's in this room because you murdered somebody. I think her chance at getting back with Jason, I, I think it's safe to say, well, that ship has sailed. Ultimately, uh, what did you decide to do about that pregnancy? I ultimately decided to terminate the pregnancy early on. Why? I was, I wasn't sure what to do at that time. I was scared. I was so young. I was confused as to really what to do. As the prosecution rested their case, they had poked holes in all of Ezra's stories and established that everything Ezra had done and every lie that she had told had all been in some attempt to manipulate everyone around her with one goal in mind, to get Jason back. She was just really, really bad at it. The defense was like, you got that wrong. Clearly, Ezra had to do what she had to do in order to save her own life. This was all an act of self-defense. How can you not see that? On November 1st of 2019, Ezra's lies came to an abrupt end because she was found guilty of the first-degree murder of Alex Woodworth. She seemed shocked. She was certain that she would be walking free because they would see that she just didn't mean to do what she did because she was just protecting her own self from the vicious and mean Alex. But the jury saw right through that and knew that it was Alex who needed protection from the vicious and mean Ezra. On February 7th of 2020, Ezra was sentenced to life in prison. She does have the eligibility to apply for parole after 50 years. Her mother did go on to try to plead for some leniency for her. However, the judge wasn't really swayed. Throughout the sentencing and a lot of the trial, Ezra showed no remorse. Like, she just didn't seem to care that she had ended someone's life. No matter the circumstances, she didn't seem to feel any sort of bad. Even during her statement, she made note of how the entire procedure had affected her. Didn't really dive into any remorse, pain, or sadness over what she had done, but she did give a, a minor, small fragment of a moment to just slightly apologize to Alex's family. And then she continued to make it all about her. Friends and family of Alex actually believe that Ezra received exactly what she deserved. Alex and I started slow. We, we held hands, we hugged, and we shared a few kisses, and then eventually we became partners. And was this, were you still living with Jason during this time? Yes. He's, he's going to just, he's going to use me. I don't know what to do. I'm terrified. I couldn't move. Had Alex ever cut you with a knife before? No. What is different about this as you're laying there and he's cutting you with this knife? What's so different about this is that in the past, only clothes had been cut, but this is the first time he ever cut me with a knife. What are you afraid of now? I'm afraid he's going to kill me. 
Well, that is the absolutely twisted case of Ezra, Alex, and Jason. Nobody believed Ezra when she said what happened happened because she couldn't keep her story straight. What is believed is that Ezra murdered Alex in order to try to get some sort of sympathy from Jason, trying to say that she was attacked because she wanted to end it with him, and she was gonna hope that Jason would just hold her and say, don't worry, I got you now, he'll never hurt you again. Instead, Ezra was found guilty of the cold-blooded murder of Alex Woodworth. Anyways, I sure hope that you guys are uh, finding love out there, you know. Make sure you do a background check on your partner. You never know. <laughs> they could just real fast. All jokes aside, I know I use humor to deflect because we live in a real fucked up world. Please though, do stay safe. And if you have a story you want me to look into, maybe a case, maybe something you've heard around town, maybe you know a partner that went a little rip rip on their partner, just let me know. Send me an email at whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. Many of you send me so many things to look into and I have a plethora to go through and I'm so appreciative, but I will never turn down more. I love a good story of the macabre. Anyways, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day and I gotta say, Thanks for hanging out with me because this talk of murder has really chippered my mood. Yeah, I realize how dark that sounds. I should I should probably talk to my therapist. Uh, speaking of which, I'm gonna go ahead and say goodbye so I can make that appointment now. Until our next episode, take care of yourself. Keep an eye out. Maybe don't get in the car with an ex. Because honestly, I don't ever want to tell a story about you. All right, love you. Later. Bye.